Hello and thank you for joining us on our latest podcast. My name is John Campion and I'm the West Mercia Police and Crime Commissioner and I'm joined today by Sue Coleman. Uh, very warm welcome Sue. Did you want to introduce yourself and, uh, and what your role is? And I'm the Chief Exec of West Mercia Women's Aid. West Mercia Women's Aid is a specialist organisation that provides support to victims of domestic abuse across the West Mercia region. Excellent. And uh, just as, uh, as a background, your, uh, you, your organisation provides, uh, first of all, there is a lot of history in your organisation in this particular area. Yeah. But you also provide uh, services to, uh, to residents uh, within, within our force area. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, in, in one guise or another, West Mercy Women's Aid has been around for nearly 40 years now. Wow. Um, and current, currently, we, um, we have three refuges. Um, we provide support to victims who are at, at high risk of harm across the whole of the West Mercy region. We've got a, a, a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week helpline um, that's obviously particularly important at the moment. And we provide community-based support for the victims of domestic abuse, which includes um, group work programs. It includes one-to-one support. Um, it includes um, support for children and young people affected by domestic abuse too. It's um, as a uh, as a fresh green-eyed candidate um, back in uh, uh, fifteen sixteen. I remember having uh, been contacted by your organisation and uh, having a, having a meeting very early on and um, uh, hearing some of the impressive work um, that, that the organisation does and, and actually the sector full stop uh, around a very different, difficult um, area. It was very inspiring to me as a candidate in, in this job and I think has definitely shaped my attitude um, uh, to, as commissioner around why this is absolutely uh, an important area. Um, one of the things... Oh, thank you for that. No, no problem. One of the things that um, I, we want to talk about today is obviously... Um, uh, the coronavirus, uh, something I'd never heard yeah. of until last year, um, has resulted in probably some of the biggest social restrictions uh, we've seen in our community for many, many generations. Um, and we've read in the uh, national press, we've uh, heard from the Home Secretary um, around some concerns around increases in uh, domestic abuse. Um, obviously an area of specialism uh, for your organisation. Are there any uh, specific advice or, 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 or things that you would say uh, to those that might be in a lockdown situation with an abusive partner that might be uh, of assistance? Well, the first thing that we would say, and we would always say to anybody, is if they feel threatened or afraid at any time, they should call the police. Um, that's always going to be the first port of call. Um, they should just dial 999 and the police are responding to domestic abuse today as they would on any other occasion. Um, we, we'd advise people to make sure that, that they've got their phone set with speed dial for the police and also for, for a trusted friend and if possible to make arrangements with that friend that if they get a call from them when they're not speaking they know that there's something wrong and that they can call the police on their behalf. They can also do things like create a safe word with friends and families so that so that if they use that word, that uh, friend or that, that family member will know that there are particular problems and that they need to call the police on their behalf. It's also possible for, for, for people to speak to the police themselves and ask whether they could do an occasional random 
past of their property if they're concerned, particularly for those um, abused them in the past, but that they're subject to stalking, they're subject to harassment. And even though people are in lockdown, we're fairly certain that there are there are some um, perpetrators of domestic abuse that will go out of their way to continue to harass and threaten even separated partners. So the police will do that for people if they're at risk. Then for those that are in the home, we, we would suggest that they're, they're, they take a moment to think about and be aware of the warning signs that an incident may be likely to occur and to make sure that they remove themselves as far as possible and where it's safe to do so from those kind of circumstances where they think that things are going to kick off, basically. Um, if they can, they can go for a walk in public. And actually, if they're out and about and they're approached by the police or by another member of the public, um, even if they're approached to be told off for, for not being out when they think that they, they should be indoors, that may be an opportunity for them to ask for help. We also um, give advice to people regularly on safety planning in the home. Um, that's um, safety planning for their, their children too, unfortunately. Um, if someone's children are old enough, then they should make sure that the children know where they can go if things start to get very, very difficult in the home. Um, and also, again, if the children are old enough and if they have their own phone, that they know how to contact the police if they feel that they need help and support from the police. And, and children really need to be reassured that if they get in touch with the police because they're worried about what's going on and what's happening to their mum, the police will not be cross with them. The police will respond and they'll be very, very supportive. And we know that from our experience working with the police. We'd also say to victims that they should think about what might be a safe room in the house, um, a place that they can go and potentially lock the door to keep themselves safe so that they can make that urgent call. And then there are a number of, of phone apps that people can download onto their phones if they've got a smartphone, and they will give them advice about what to do in circumstances where there's domestic abuse. Um, I mentioned a couple of those. One's called Hollyguard, and another is called Bright Sky. And if people can't find those, then they can give us a call and we can direct them to those particular apps. And finally, obviously, our helpline is still offering information, advice and listening support, as always. We realise that it's going to be particularly important lifeline at the moment. And I'll give out the numbers at the end of this podcast so that people have the chance to get a pen and take them down. Um, helpline is providing safety planning for callers, not only for their physical safety, but for their emotional safety and for the safety of their children. And I'd want to remind people, all of our services are still working, albeit a bit differently. Our refuges are still open. And, um, and our sister organisation, Shropshire Domestic Abuse Service, their refuge is still open. Um, and our support services are still running as best they can. People are sitting at their kitchen tables with their phones, with their laptops, contacting people on a day-to-day -day basis in the same way as we were when we were in the office. Because that's a that's a really important point, uh, Sue. We uh, we've all had to adapt as a society to to living in very different circumstances, and uh, you have a a service that uh, often thrives on personal contact to support people in difficult yeah. circumstances. Um, did you just want to talk a little bit around how your organisation has had to adapt 
to meet those uh, those demands of uh, you know the sometimes very vulnerable uh, people um, to make sure that they get the help that they need. What kind of things have you had to do? Right. Well, um, I mean, we've had to make sure that we've got people that are um, that are able to safely still go into refuge and make sure that the refuges are supported and safe. Um, that's meant that some people are doing jobs that they weren't necessarily doing before. Very effective is making sure that residents in refuge are supported. And in fact, we shouldn't forget that we've got people living in refuge who are very resourceful people in their own right. <laughs> so our residents in refuge are managing to look after each other and to keep themselves safe. Um, and we're in contact with them all the time. Um, because we, we cover quite a large rural area, John, quite a lot of our phone is done remotely over, so our work is done remotely over the phone anyway. So for some of our workers, it's almost business as usual. They're just not coming into the office, but they're doing it from home. But we are conscious that, um, that it's important sometimes for there to be um, visual contact with people. For some of those personal clues that you get from talking face-to-face with someone are critical. So we're currently um, making sure that we've got got different apps on our phones and on our laptops that will enable us to have face-to-face contact with some of our clients wherever possible. It's, um, uh, it's for example, this podcast that we're recording now, I can see you, uh, we're using WhatsApp. Yeah. Uh, uh, other apps are yes. available. Um, we saw the yes. we saw the prime minister uh, run a uh, a cabinet meeting with Zoom. I'd never heard of Zoom before uh, before the last yeah. two weeks, but it, it's amazing the bits of innovation that are out there and your your staff and your uh, the people that you're out there supporting. Um, uh, whilst we might be constrained, it's uh, it is quite amazing to see us adapt and change to how technology can help us get there. Because I like you yeah. like to see the person that I'm talking to, yeah, absolutely, and alike. Yeah, I think I think the the challenge for us, and and we're currently exploring the extent to which we can use WhatsApp. But what WhatsApp does is it retains a recording of a thread of a conversation, um, and we're mindful that there are some circumstances where if it was difficult to delete a WhatsApp thread on a smartphone, that might actually put someone at risk if they're still living with the person that's abusing me. Yeah. So. So we're looking at a number of different applications to make sure that we can use the ones that are safest for the people out there. So uh, we've t- t- talked a little bit around um, how you guys are adapting. Um, what's the demand like um, uh, at the moment? Um, uh, is, is it higher? Is it normal? Is it, is it, about, is it about the same? How have you found um, things change? Demand for, um, for our services is, is roughly the same, but we've seen... Um, we've seen contact to our helpline go down in the last couple of weeks. Um, we're monitoring all of that demand very closely. Our, our helpline traffic at the moment, incoming calls, are down by 35%. Right. That's, um, that's one week, and we do occasionally have dips. We've compared that with this time last year. It's down 35% on last year. We're not surprised because we know that it's going to be more difficult for people to make calls to us at the moment because they're stuck inside with the person that's abusing them. One of the other things that we're exploring, John, you asked me earlier about technology, is we're looking at a facility called Live Chat, which is something that we'll be attaching to. We trialled it yesterday. 
um, and we're planning to attach it to the front of our website. And that will mean that people will be able to literally live chat us, a bit like texting, only hopefully easier. Um, and there'll always be someone at the end of that live chat line so that they can do that without making a sound. Um, I apologise to your listeners, but even even people that are living with domestic abuse get to go to the loo occasionally. Yeah. And if those five minutes are the one time when you're on your own with your phone, then if you can access live chat from the loo, there's a possibility that they'll be able to contact us and we may be able to provide them just in that small window with some advice and support about what to do. So so it's watch this space. We're going to be we're going to be advertising live chat hopefully next week when we know exactly how we're going to be able to use it and how it's going to be accessible to people. That's a, another real great uh, innovation. Um, and, and actually, uh, you, you just mentioned our listeners, um, and some people will have um, a very traditional sense of what domestic uh, abuse is, you know, a, a man um, physically abusing uh, a woman. Um, but there is, uh, it, it is much, much more complex than that, isn't it? And it isn't just a case of physical uh, abuse. Um, do you just want to talk a little bit around some of the other types of um, uh, abuse that your service is having to support people uh, who are um, the, the victims and survivors of? People talk about different types of domestic abuse. Um, I wouldn't say that they were different types, rather than it's a bit of a lethal cocktail mm. of behaviours um, yeah. that, that are characterised by bullying and controlling, sometimes subversive and manipulative behaviour that, that, that can and often does impact on, on pretty well every aspect of a victim's life. Um, back in, in December 2015, when um, coercive and controlling behaviour became a criminal offence, people started to better understand what domestic abuse is all about. Um, I mean, fundamentally, it's about the misuse of power and control in a close personal relationship, to the point where the victim has little autonomy, no choice with what they do with their lives. They're isolated, they're afraid they're intimidated, they've got little confidence, they feel that the failures of that relationship are their fault, they feel that they deserve to be in a relationship where they feel dominated and bullied. And, and that kind of abuse, the, the abusers will use a range of tactics to make sure that they keep people feeling like that, to make sure that they maintain that power in that relationship. So that will almost certainly include belittling, name-calling, hateful language, threatening behaviour. It will involve making that victim um, imagine things or think that they're imagining things to make them feel stupid, make them feel that they're unstable. Um, do you know, it, it's not uncommon for women to tell us when we first meet them um, things like, I could deal with the physical abuse. It was the emotional torment that was the worst part. That's, that's an awful thing to hear, but it really isn't that uncommon. Um, it's the way that people make other people feel in relationships that leaves them feeling trapped and unable to, to lead their lives with any sort of, um, of self-determination. And, and, and part of that can include um, uh, the control of the family's money. It's not uncommon for some of the women that we see to have had no control over the finances whatsoever. And of course, 
that limits their ability to, to lead their lives normally, let alone escape from that situation. And people's um, social circles are also controlled, so they're kept isolated from friends and families. And, and it then becomes um, difficult for, for friends and families sometimes to believe or understand what's going on. So the support that they're able to access is, is, is cut off from them. And if there's, if there's no evidence, no direct evidence of, of physical violence, then sometimes other people, if they know that things are difficult, will not necessarily recognise the, um, the enormity of the difficulties that those people are living in. So often a victim is blamed for the abuse and, and they then feel unable to talk about it at all. They're completely isolated. It's a, it affects every aspect of people's lives. So if it doesn't necessarily include physical or sexual assault within the relationship, it can still be incredibly corrosive and, and, and put people in an impossible position where their lives really feel like they're not worth living. There's been some, uh, there's been some um, national stories around some of the additional um, powers that are now there to uh, around some of those that co- that that cocktail that you describe and gaslighting yeah. all that um, yeah, making absolutely. somebody doubt themselves. I think is a is a very uh, pertinent part of what you've just talked about for our society to try and recognise it, to try and see yeah. um, whether persons that they might have known for a long time to suddenly start to to, to change their behaviours and their attitudes or their confidence, and it uh, might also be a good tool for uh, the public to to help recognise. Yeah, I I I agree. I think it's a very it's a it's a difficult thing to perceive. In other people's relationships, yes. um, I, I think, but I think that um, perhaps one of the positive things that might come out of the awful circumstances we're in at the moment is that whilst we're all being told to self-isolate, we're also being urged to make sure that we look out for each other a lot more than we have done previously. Um, so, so yeah, for those that um, that are remotely. Uh, looking out for their neighbours or for friends and families, then we would urge them to look for um, particular changes in behaviour um, for for signs of particular distress or signs of withdrawal, I would say, um, unnatural withdrawal um, and anxiety and depression. And that's going to be difficult because a lot of people are anxious yes. and a lot of people are sad at the moment simply because of the of the enormity of the circumstances and, and for all of us for being separated. Um, I suspect everyone is separated from someone that they love yes. in their family and, and having to maintain that separation in order to remain safe. But it is important that we continue to look out for each other and, and particularly in relation to, to domestic abuse. And, and, and if people are concerned, it's, it's far better to do something than to do nothing. Um, we need to remind ourselves that, that at the moment two women a week are killed in the UK um, as a consequence of domestic abuse by a partner or a former intimate partner. But that figure's actually got worse over the last two years, if you could believe it. Um, and that was the figure before the lockdown started. So we are very anxious about the impact of the lockdown on women's safety. We, we suggest to neighbours that, that domestic, just like, just like child protection is everyone's business. 
um, to recognise that if there are difficulties at home that their neighbour is not going to be able to get out and ask for help, um, that if they feel concerned and they're able to have that over-the-garden fence um, safe conversation and say that they're worried about what they've heard, even if someone says, no, you've got it wrong, don't worry about it, still keep that dialogue open because people that are experiencing abuse will do that. They'll try to keep people at arm's length because actually um, if someone starts to show signs of interfering and destabilizing the situation, that can make it even more difficult sometimes. It's a very, very difficult thing to manage. And, and I would go back to what I said at the beginning is, if people are really concerned that something's going on and that someone is at risk, should call the police. The police are really busy at the moment, just like everybody else. But we know that they're still taking domestic abuse incredibly seriously and they will respond and they will respond with sympathy and understanding. It's um, it, And you mentioned it in what you've just said, Sue, around the, the threat that uh, domestic violence and violence within the within the home, in that private setting behind closed doors. Because we see in the national media uh, violence around gangs and knives and all the rest of it. Well, not here in West Mercia. You're, you're likely, if you're going to be injured or killed, it will happen on the roads, first of all. But then secondly, yeah. after that, it's in that in that private setting. And we've seen yeah. some very worrying numbers in, in, in recent, well, over a very long period of time. And we as a society have got to get, got to get consistently serious about dealing with it. So that message very clear, if neighbours can engage, should engage, uh, obviously with social distancing permitting, but also if you're worried, let the authorities uh, know. They're the people that are there to deal with it. Giving the police um, a ring, they're the people that perhaps might know some history around that address or those people and then be able to make yeah. a much more informed yeah. decision. And, and, and neighbours and friends and family can also call our helpline. Okay. Um, our helpline is not there exclusively for victims. It's there to provide advice and support to anyone who's got that kind of concern. And we would welcome those calls. So that's a, that's a good sachet, I think, then into talking about uh, the helpline and uh, and uh, saying how can people access the services and indeed, um, you know, giving a reminder of what the nub- number and the website are. We'll make sure they're in the description of the podcast um, as yeah. well. Yes, well, um, we've got two helplines. Um, <clears throat> we've got one helpline for, for Worcestershire. And so if people have got their pens ready... That's 0800-980-331. And then our other helpline is 0800-783-1359. So you can call either of those numbers and you'll get through to our helpline and that's 24-7. We have... um, we just have one person covering the helpline at night. And so it's possible that if you call, you might get a message and you might be invited to leave a message um, because that person might be talking to somebody else. Always leave a message. And we will always get back to you. So I'll just give those numbers again, John, if I may. That's for Worcestershire, 0800 980 331. 
And for Herefordshire, Shropshire and Telford and Rekin, that's 0800-783-1359. And just, just to say, John, that we're, we're also making sure that, that our profile is as high as possible at the moment so that people know that our services are still running. And, um, and, and so our social media presence is, is pretty hot currently. We're, we're posting as much as we can on Facebook uh, and on Twitter. And, and we're, we're looking to, um, to engage with local community Facebook pages. I think quite a lot of, uh, of kind of roads or geographical areas have their own residence Facebook page. Indeed, yeah. And we're, we're mapping those at the moment, and we're going to be contacting the administrators and asking them to put up regular posts on their Facebook pages of our details and our contact information in particular so that we can reach out to people in the community and they know where to get hold of us and the fact that they can get hold of us at any time and we'll provide them with advice and if needed with support. Because you've also got an online uh, presence as well in terms of a website. Uh, which has... We have, yes. Our website is, and it's, it's all one word, westmerciawomensaid.org.uk. Excellent. Um, but if you if you Google West Mercy Women's Aid, and we should come up, yes. uh, to also be an easy way to get hold of us. So lots of information out there, lots of different ways to yeah. contact. Some amazing work of yes. your organisation and the volunteers uh, that that support them. Um, I want to say say a big thank you for taking part today. Um, the the bits of information out there are really important that we get out to our community and this podcast another way that we can do that. I want to thank you and your organisation for the commitment to a really difficult subject and indeed, um, you know, proving, improving the lots of people out there in very difficult circumstances. And I, as Commissioner, uh, obviously want to continue to support in any way um, that I can. But thank you very much for joining today. Um, we'll, uh, we'll get the podcast up online. Thank you, John. It's, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. And, and just to say that, that for all of us at West Mercy Women's Aid, it's, it's a real privilege to be doing this work and to be working with some of the fantastic women that we meet on a daily basis. And, and this gives me an opportunity just to share that, that we've become aware that a lot of the women that we've been working with are supporting each other in WhatsApp groups at the moment, even that they know that it's so hard for them to actually directly access services. Um, and that's that's been really heartwarming to hear. Sue, thank you very much.